What is up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Reasonably Outrageous. I'm Matt Wyrick, along with Blake Pace, and this is the latest episode coming the morning after the NBA draft lottery results. One of the craziest lotteries we have seen in the history of it all, and it's not the Cleveland Cavaliers, it's not the New York Knicks, it's not the Los Angeles Lakers, it is the New Orleans Pelicans taking the number one pick, likely getting Zion Williamson with that number one slot, and Blake, a lifelong Knicks fan, I can't imagine how you feel right now. Oh, dude, miserable. You know, and just for a little background, I feel like anyone that I've kind of been around through the last year has known since maybe November... I've been idolizing Zion Williamson to the Knicks. I think since the first time I, you know, first or second time I saw him step on the court, I was like, the Knicks are going to be bad this year. Let's be the worst team and let's get Zion Williamson. And it worked. That all worked. The Knicks were the worst team in the NBA. They had the worst record. But of course, the updated lottery um, selections were now one through three, only have a 14% chance compared to when the number one team had a 25% chance last year. It hurts, you know, and I think I kind of knew it was coming just out of being a miserable Knicks fan my my entire (laughs) life. Um, You know, we're we're set up for disappointment. And even this morning, yesterday morning when I woke up, there was just like this pain in my chest every time I thought about the lottery. And it's honestly been like that for a couple weeks. So I guess I was very in denial about the chances uh, of the Knicks not getting the number one overall pick, but I mean, I I didn't expect it to be this crazy. Um, I didn't expect it to be this wild where you were going to have um, a team completely outside of our, you know, top three, four. They had a 6% chance. So I I was pretty surprised that they actually, um, that the New Orleans Pelicans won the lottery uh, you know, a few other shakeups, the Lakers somehow getting into the top four, the Hawks dropping back extremely low. Um, who else dropped back low? The, the Cavaliers, the Wizards, man. The oh yeah. Wizards. Where'd the Wizards, the end Wizards, up? they ended up at ninth. They had a better chance of getting the number one overall pick than the ninth overall pick. Wow. Uh, and yet yeah, here we are. That's just kind of been, uh, the Wizards story, uh, in recent years. It's just this kind of luck. It's our, ever since the, the Wizards went, uh, to Game Seven against the Celtics, go to the Eastern Conference Finals. Oh man, what was that? Two, three years, three years ago now. Yeah. Um. Ever since then, it's just it's been this downhill uh, fall, and we fired our GM Ernie Grunfeld earlier this season, and we we're hoping maybe we get a high enough pick where we can start our rebuild and with a new face, which we still don't have a GM, um, but with a new face uh, leading the way, and of course we get the ninth pick, which I think the Wizards are honestly going to trade back. I wouldn't be surprised because they just need assets at this point, right. um, but the ninth pick, that, that's not going to get it done, although Cam Reddish is uh, projected to possibly fall that low now uh, okay. in recent draft uh, projections, so maybe maybe if he's still around, they pick him, but right. I mean, oof, it, it, was, it was definitely you know, obviously the Knicks not getting the number one pick was, was kind of the, the big storyline of a lot of disappointed fan bases, but the Wizards Wizards Twitter last night was a, a pretty terrible place to be. Right, and and you know, what I saw from um, the Wizards too is that uh, in the draft room, the Wizards had the second most combinations for the number one pick, so it was almost them. It, it, it went... You know, the most likely of getting the number one pick was the Pelicans, and then right behind them was the Wizards. So I don't know if you saw that, but that'll make you feel 
a little bit uh, worse, yeah. too. Did not see that because, of course, I was at the Nats game watching us almost get no hit, uh, and uh. then uh, <laughs> the Mets just they hit a grand slam in the first inning, and it was just down. It never, never went well. Jeez. So either way, I was not really enjoying my time as a DC sports fan. But right, uh, let's let's talk about let's talk about these top five teams here. Uh, and just kind of go down the list of, I mean, obvious. It's it's kind of obvious at this point who the, the top three picks are going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's let's talk about implications here. And starting with New Orleans at number one, obviously the AD sweepstakes are are affected here. Blake, do you think that Davis stays now? Is there a possibility that that New Orleans do, doesn't not trade him and and tries to go all in uh, with the two of them and Drew Holiday as as a very potent top three? Um, and, and try and build around them to make a deep playoff run? Or do you think this is the kickstart where they trade Holiday, they, they trade AD, and build around Zion and look to two, three years in the future? You know, I would hope. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure the Pelicans hope that AD would want to stay, but it seemed, I think, um, from what I remember watching on the live draft show, is immediately after the finish of the um of the lottery show, uh, someone got in Woj's ear, probably a rep from AD's camp, and said that this doesn't change the fact that AD wants to play somewhere else. He doesn't want to be in New Orleans. So, you know, of course the Pelicans don't have to trade him. They have, you know, no obligation to. But as we saw this year and we saw, you know, other years where players are disgruntled, they don't have to play necessarily. I know, I know Kawhi Leonard was more of an injury thing, but he stayed out his injury an extended period of time because he didn't, he was unhappy uh, with the Spurs. And then you talk about Anthony Davis this year, he was hurt too. So he also missed some extended time. Um, so to me, this is now the Anthony Davis uh, trade. And, and what's crazy about this, and, and the Pelicans have always kind of been in control, but now they are really in control of this because two of the top destinations where Anthony Davis said he could go have the number three and the number four pick. Anthony Davis said that he would consider long-term extensions with the Knicks and the Lakers. Um, the Knicks was contingent on that they um, you know, put out a winning team, um, essentially. So if he gets there... And in one year, it's it's not working. He would probably dip out. But that those two teams have top picks now, young players, um, additional picks as well. And so now it comes down to what's the best offer. Now, Boston can give a lot. The Clippers can give a lot. But I think what it comes down to is the Knicks and the Lakers still have the most to offer for Anthony Davis. Um, you know, with the Lakers, they've got, you know, young guys like uh, Josh Hart, Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, Brandon Ingram. Um, they also have, you know, I'm pretty sure, I'm not sure what other draft picks they got from other teams, um, but I'm sure, you know, they still, they could give up future Lakers <clears throat> first round picks for the Knicks. Um, you know, they have a lot to offer too, you know, despite being one of the worst teams in the league, they have a ton of young players that are, had pretty good seasons. Um, and they also have future unprotected first round pick from the Dallas Mavericks in 2021. If the Mavericks don't, you know, improve upon their team, they could end up right back in the lottery. And we saw how well a team, you know, in the bottom half of the lottery did with this, these new rules because the Pelicans ended up with the number one pick. Um, But to me, to me, this is Anthony Davis is in the, is on the trade block. Um, And, and, you know, you're going to have to rebuild with Zion Williamson. And, and I think maybe, the thing is, is if I'm the Pelicans and I'm looking at this trade, everyone, it's a deep draft, but people also say it's a three-player draft, and that's talking uh, Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, and uh, John Morant. So if you trade to number four with the Lakers, 
one of the, the second of those three isn't there. If you trade with the Knicks at three, you're guaranteed you're getting either John Morant or R.J. Barrett. And as we know, Zion Williamson has played with both of them before. I'm sure if he was the number one pick, he'd be pretty excited about getting one of his boys on the court with him. Um, so I think that's the direction that the Pelicans have to move. And I know I've been talking for a lot about this, but one last thing. I was um, watching, or I was scrolling through Twitter directly after, and as soon as the Pelicans won the draft lottery, uh, Zion's agent quickly whisked him out of the room and ran him out. Um, and then the reports came out that he was apparently really excited uh, to be a New York Knick, which, of course, just puts mm-hmm. pain and sorrow in my body. Uh, but <laughs> but the thing is, is we've seen players, and, and then Woj kind of hinted at this, which I think means we might see it. He seems very, you know, he's the most, you know... Uh, He's the biggest NBA insider, you know, in the world right now, him and Shams. And he hinted at the idea that we might see a situation where maybe he says, no, I don't want to play for New Orleans. I want to play for the the two teams reportedly are the Knicks and the Hawks that he would, uh, that he really wanted to play for. So um, I don't think we've necessarily seen the end of this. If Zion, you know, he's a generational talent. He has the power where he can be in control of his destiny at this point. It, it, you know, we're starting to see this. It could be like an Eli Manning from, you know, 2004 draft. Um, a lot to consider with, with that number one pick, but it definitely seems like Zion's the draft pick if he's, you know, willing to play in New Orleans. And, uh, you know, a, a trade for the number three or number four pick could pair him up with John Morant or R.J. Barrett as well. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be interesting to follow. Uh, something we weren't really expecting. I mean, New Orleans, uh, a team that you know came into the season with reasonable expectations, but when things mm-hmm. started to fall apart, obviously Anthony Davis asking for that trade. Now, I don't know if Davis would be the type of player to sit out if the Pelicans decided to hold on to him. I mean, ultimately, it is up to New Orleans whether or not it parts ways with him. Uh, and I don't know if he'd be the type of player to actually sit out and not play. Um, he's always been a competitor. He's been one of the best players. He was best, one of the best players in college, uh, came into the league uh, as one of the best res- young rising stars and is now a superstar. And I, I can't see him pulling a Le'Veon Bell and just sitting out. Well, um, he, he so did for a little if- this year. He did for a little this year. So there was a, a time that he was reportedly healthy, but he, um, him and but that his, was right I- before the trade deadline, right? That was that was to preserve his health so that because he thought he was going to be traded and then after the trade deadline happened he came back and played. I'm not sure he came back immediately. I think he took some time back after the deadline. I, I okay, remember, and that's that's fair. But I but him sitting out an entire season, I right. think, is a different story. Yeah, that's true. That's and, different and, than a few. And games. that's just me. Um, so so we'll see. Um, I mean, I do ultimately think he does get traded. Uh, I just think it's an intriguing option. You know, New Orleans kind of has uh, the best of both worlds here where they, you know, out of nowhere, the Pelicans are really given the opportunity to go two separate ways. And I think the organization is going to sit down and, and, and make that decision because, you know, does it really want to tear down? Uh, you know, obviously trading AD uh, could bring back some picks. and Maybe they, they don't trade Holiday and they say, hey, if we can bring back AD, we can trade AD for some pieces who might be able to make an impact now, oh, yeah. um, you know, we could still compete. Um, you know, if Zion is our superstar, I mean, They've been competing with one true superstar in Anthony Davis. You know, if Zion really does turn into that player, then you have Zion and you have Drew Holiday, the the good counter uh, star. Uh, You know, it's certainly possible that New Orleans goes from the number one pick into a playoff spot next year, which in past NBA seasons, that really wasn't a thing because we were seeing mostly the, the, the top three, the worst three teams in the league getting the worst three picks. But now with the way this is working out, 
it's it's not necessarily the case. Now, I want to move on though and talk about Memphis here for a second. John yeah. Morant seems like the obvious pick to go to Memphis, which him learning under Mike Conley, which Mike Conley has signed for one more season uh, in Memphis, so he would be able to overlap there with his, with his rookie year. I think I love Mike Conley. He's one of the, the nicest guys in the league, uh, somebody who uh, the Memphis fan base really uh, took in. Uh, and, you know, Conley's the only... Uh, Memphis is the only uh, city that he knows throughout his career. Uh, he was getting all nostalgic this this year because we thought that Memphis might trade him. And ultimately, they traded Gasol, another lifelong Grizzly, but they didn't trade Conley. And I think that might actually work out to the point where if Morant and Conley can play together for a year, because I don't know, you know, coming from Murray State, I don't know if Morant is necessarily going to be up to speed uh, for the NBA yet. Uh, you know, I'm not, not taking anything away from his talent, but we see it with rookies all the time where they just kind of can't. Uh, catch up right away, and I think being able to play behind Conley to start would be fantastic for his development. You know, let him play against some of the bench players at first, and if he starts, Morant just starts to, you know, blow the cover off the ball, he starts to really play well, you start him, you trade Conley, because I don't think Memphis is going to be competing next year necessarily, uh, and get some picks maybe back for for Conley there um, toward the end of the season. What do you think uh, about this whole thing? I mean, both teams from the, the Southeast Division uh, happen to be one and two, which is pretty crazy. We weren't looking at either of them really uh, being in the top three, and here we are. Yeah, you know, with the Grizzlies, it is interesting. And I'm, I'm more on the side of I think Mike Conley uh, probably could be gone by this summer if that's the direction they go in with John ja Morant. Um, I, you know, I, I personally think, I know Ja did go to a mid-major, and it's, you know, not as, you know, a, a Duke or Kentucky, but I think he could step in. Right on the NBA with his court vision, his athleticism, um, probably you know he's the best passer. I think in the to come out of the last few drafts, I mean his his court vision is unbelievable. Um, I, I think he's you know maybe needs to build on you know some more weight. I feel like that's the big thing is like get him into the league, get him in the gym, get him you know maybe 10, 15 more pounds because he is a little undersized. But I do think that you could you could draft him at number two. And then essentially move on from Conley and have him be your starting point guard, uh, you know, day one. Now, if they, for some reason, like the direction of Mike Conley, you could go R.J. Barrett and have him play in a backcourt together. Uh, but I do think that John Moran is clearly the second best player in this draft ahead of R.J. Um, and, and with R.J., I mean, I would agree. the thing that I'm most excited for is that if he goes to Memphis is just the young pairing of him and Jaron Jackson, who was taken in last year's draft, that pick and roll duo uh, would be amazing, and I think it'd be a really, a really fundamental, you know, building block for Memphis. I know we talked about, you know, just it seemed like a few years ago that Conley and Gasol were, and Zach Randolph were tearing apart through the playoffs, and they're making deep runs, and of course everything fell apart. You trade away uh, Marcus to the Toronto Raptors. Mike Conley's future in Memphis seems done. If you walk out of that and you are able to, you know. I'm not going to say quickly rebuild, but get a young core of of uh, John Morant and uh, Jaron Jackson. That's a great start, and I think that's got to be probably, you know, I mean, the easiest pick in this draft is Zion Williamson, but the second easiest is, is clearly John Morant at number two. Yeah, and I mean, they do have, you know, some young building pieces that they got in back and trades. I mean, Jonas Valanciunas. Uh, brought back and, and mm-hmm. uh, Avery Bradley to to not necessarily young players, but certainly uh, it, it lends you to the idea that they might be a little bit closer to competing 
than some people might think, uh, mm-hmm. just because they have, um, you know, players who are a little bit on the older side. So that just kind of tells you what their timeline is. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how John Morant would be a fit and what they do with Conley, because that's certainly, uh, you know, if... If Conley is available on the trade market, are so many teams going to be in on Kyrie, or so many teams going to be in on Kemba? You know, yeah. you never know how that might impact things. So mm-hmm. certainly would be uh, something to watch. Now we'll go to the Knicks here. Uh, <laughs> if that leaves them with RJ Barrett, are you yeah. happy? Uh, I mean, I know Zion was the guy you wanted, but are are, are you happy with RJ uh, going to New York? So I was happy. I will no. Okay, so yeah, I wasn't happy. Clearly, and I, I posted a. Mm-hmm. I had a I had a live reaction. If you want to head over to my Twitter. Uh, pretty oh, funny man. video of uh, when I, I was really excited when the Lakers got the number four pick, and then as soon as the Knicks three, like uh, my heart just sank. Uh, so head over to my Twitter if you want to see that video. It's kind of funny. Um, number three could have been worse, of course. Like we've seen with these other teams uh, that were projected in the top three, they're further down. Uh, so for the Knicks to stay up there, cool. Um, I was excited about R.J. Barrett. In the sense of that, this is everyone says this is a three-player draft, and if we can get one of those three, great. And then I just went through. I was going through my my Knicks, um, the the Knicks guys that I follow, and I, I went to posting and toasting the SB Nation site for the Knicks, and I saw a lot of comparisons of R.J. Barrett to Evan Turner, and that made me sick because. I you know I I just I saw a lot of people complaining um, about R.J. Barrett and they don't think he's really that you know talented I guess to to be an NBA star and um, R.J. Barrett of course I think in the beginning of the season was caught saying that you know I mean Zion Williamson pointed it out saying that you know R.J. Barrett wanted to play for the Knicks uh, that was where he wanted to go and I've been told just leadership wise and the stuff like that he's built for the New York market. Um, which we always talk about, you know, being built to handle uh, the constant criticism. And we've seen guys come into New York that really don't fit that. And so my thing is, R.J. Barrett, if we stay with the number three pick and we do select him, um, I'm going to be... I'm going to be hesitant because we did just draft Kevin Knox last year. And I know... uh, R.J. Barrett is projected to be a little bit better than Kevin Knox, but Kevin Knox and him play the same position. Um, we drafted him at number eight. Um, yeah, I guess I'm just I'm okay with R.J. Barrett. I'm just uh, I'm a little upset. I, I don't know if the fit is necessarily perfect for the Knicks, um, but then of course we have to consider what free agency is going to look like for them. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Certainly not uh, what Knicks fans were expecting. No, um, you know it's it, it's funny to me because uh, you know you, you come out of last year's draft, Knicks fans super disappointed with the way uh, the team went with Kevin Knox. Uh, I've told this story to Blake before, but I was actually in Brooklyn, hmm. uh, the, which the draft was held at the Barclays Center. I was at a bar across the street. Uh, during the draft, and I was sitting there, I watched the whole draft there, and maybe about 15 minutes uh, after the Knicks made their pick, about a storm of 20 Knicks fans came into the bar I was sitting at, just screaming their heads off about yeah. how pissed they were, about how terrible Kevin Knox was going to be, uh, and that just kind of, for me, set the tone of, of the Knicks season. I was just like, okay, this is this is where the fan base is at right now, um, and now, you know, you can't really blame the front office for this, no. um, but... <laughs> what, what if any does this does this change in terms of how maybe the Knicks approach the rest of their rebuild? I mean, 
say, you know, you don't get Kevin Durant or uh, Kyrie Irving this offseason, or maybe you just get one, okay? Mm -hmm. If you just get one of the two, uh, what what does this change in terms of the Knicks' approach uh, over the next two to three years? I mean, is tanking going to be uh, a part of the Knicks' future, do you think, that they're still going to try and get, you know, aim for a number one pick, or does this throw put such a sour taste in the team's mouth that they're just going to try and go all in on free agents uh, and, and, and moving forward, they're really not going to try and take that approach. Yeah, so I mean, out of out, say you, they only get one of those free agents, the one that seems more, more likely, and I, I swear every day that passes by, it's Bill Simmons, it's Colin Cowherd, it's, it's um, Adrian Wojnarowski. They're all saying it's Kevin Durant to New York. Um, there was an NBA veteran uh, that recently came out and said, I forget his name, that he said Kevin Durant to the Knicks is 100% confirmed and he's recruiting other players to join him. So to me, if if you got Kyrie Irving, I think that that's not the instant fix and you're not fully in well, we're going to be, you know, championship contender, but Kevin Durant is a guy that if you draft, if you get him in free agency, you're not tanking with Kevin Durant on your team. You're you're trying to contend. They have enough spots on on they have uh, two max spots open. So you would think that they can uh, bring in Kevin Durant and maybe one other person. Maybe it's, if it's not Kyrie, it's another you know second tier free agent. But the thing with the Knicks that's really exciting to me is that if you bring in stars, they immediately have one of the best benches in the NBA. Now I know they didn't it didn't correlate to wins because they were all starters, but Mitchell Robinson will probably end up. Man, if he doesn't end up first-team all-rookie, all uh, he'll definitely be second-team all-rookie. He led the league, or I think he led rookies in blocks. He had uh, two-and-a-half blocks per game. Great rim protector, great pick-and-roll guy. Um, you have a guy, Mario Hazonia. You've got Kevin Knox if he comes off the bench. You've got guards like Alonzo Trier, um, Emmanuel Moutier, Dennis Smith Jr., Damian Dotson, who's a great spot-up shooter. Uh, the Knicks, you know... The thing that they're missing is star players. They've got the role players. So to me, if you get a Kevin Durant and maybe you get another starter, uh, another starting caliber player, it, I'm not even going to say star. If you get Kevin Durant and another star, to me, in a, in the weak Eastern Conference, to me, that's a, a a lower level playoff team at the at the worst. And I think that the Knicks, you know, still have a chance after this offseason to move completely away from the tanking mode and head into we're going to contend in the Eastern Conference. All right, well, we're going to go ahead and move on now to the Lakers. Yes. Uh, the surprise team at number four. And <laughs> I think if you had told me prior to the season that the Lakers would be choosing higher yeah. than the Cavaliers <laughs> right after the Lakers signed LeBron, uh, I would have laughed in your face. But yet here we are now. I do think, you know, despite the fact that the Lakers got as high a pick as number four and how crazy that is uh, statistically, it's honestly not the best thing in the world. Uh, because of how top-heavy this draft is, and this is where the drop-off starts. Right. Uh, you know, after those top three picks, we don't have any bona fide stars. There's a lot of different mock drafts going in different directions, but it seems like the top three picks that they're going to have uh, to choose from at number four are going to be Darius Garland uh, out of Vanderbilt, DeAndre Hunter out of UVA, and Jarrett Culver out yep. of Texas Tech. Um, do you have an idea, Blake, of where they go with that pick uh, and, and what this kind of means for... The Lakers, you, you think this is something maybe they trade down to get a star uh, in a trade? I mean, what what exactly is the Lakers' plan here? Yeah, to me, the number one option is to trade this away. Um, the, the Lakers have enough young players where I think, you know, 
they can, you know, even if they have to give up some of them along the lines to get an Anthony Davis, I think it's fine to give up this pick just because when you have LeBron James on your team, you're contending for an NBA title. You should be. I know they weren't this year. Um, to me, they'll have to probably go with one of those wings um, or, or forwards if it's Jarrett Culver or, uh, you know, DeAndre Hunter. Um, I don't think they go guard just because you've already got LeBron that dominates, that needs the ball in his hands. You've got Lonzo, who's, you know, another guy that needs the ball. So I don't think they go in the guard direction, but I do think you could look at a DeAndre Hunter or Jarrett Culver if they do keep the pick. But yeah, to me, the number one option for the Lakers is to trade this away to see who you can get. Um, you know, everyone's been saying Anthony Davis. Um, that's been the rumor since it almost happened on the trade deadline. But we also have two kind of new leaders in both of those organizations. So we don't know what their relationship is like. Is, is Dan Gilbert sitting there with the New Orleans Pelicans after, you know, him and LeBron broke up in Cleveland. And he's thinking, yeah, I want to give this guy in the Western Conference the chance to just dominate my team. I, I think that the Pelicans would mostly be inclined to trade him to a team in the East. So to me, you know, I know they almost put the trade through for Anthony Davis at the trade deadline, but I, I just think the competitiveness, I don't know if the Pelicans would be willing to give him up to a Western Conference team. So then you have to look at other trade routes. I'm not sure what other stars would be in there that you could get for the number four pick. Um, none are even just coming to my mind. You would have to wait kind of till the offseason and see what stars come out and say they want to be traded. It's you know a natural occurrence now every every offseason. Uh, one random star will be like, yeah, I'm done here. So, so we'll kind of have to wait for that. But when you got LeBron James on your team, you... I'm not going to say you don't have time to develop young players. I think the Lakers have enough young players where they can get rid of this pick and still feel comfortable about their present and their future. Yeah, well, it seems as if the Lakers are resisting LeBron's attempt to control the team. Yeah. Uh, which, if whether or not that's smart, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. uh, it certainly worked in Cleveland. Uh, and it certainly worked in Miami as well. So, yeah. you know, the, the Lakers are a bit of a pretentious organization. They're the Lakers, uh, given their history. Uh, they don't really want to, you know, succumb to a player's pressure. Um, but, you know, there is also the chance that LeBron asked for a trade. I mean, I can't imagine Luke Vogel being the guy he wanted uh, going into the head coaching search. Yet here we are. Um, so given how this offseason has started for the Lakers, given that they have a number four pick, and if LeBron asked for a trade, uh, that I think that changes everything too, uh, to the point where the Lakers have to keep this pick uh, because they'd be getting some young assets back. They're almost right back to where they were if they trade LeBron uh, before they got him. Uh, they've obviously made some some personnel moves uh, and have guys like JaVale McGee on the team at the moment. But, oh, yeah. Um, it's it's definitely I think I don't think LeBron is set on LA and that's that's my big takeaway mm. here oh, is wow. with that number four pick that gives them protection now uh, of whether or not LeBron stays or goes um, it's it's been something that's been talked about uh, around the league a little bit as right. to whether he's happy uh, with Vogel you know obviously um, Ty Lue was his guy uh, going into the head coaching search, and it seemed like they were willing to to bring him on, but only under the stipulations that they wanted. They wanted Jason Kidd as a um, uh, an assistant, and he didn't. Kidd doesn't get along with Lou very well. Uh, it, it was just this whole situation where Lou left walking away disgusted, and I can't imagine that made LeBron feel very good about the whole thing. Uh, and given that you know Magic stepped down, uh, you know Luke Walton was fired. Just there's a lot of dysfunction in LA, and this is the first time he's not in the the 
conference finals or, or the NBA finals, excuse me, uh, in in over a decade or almost a decade. I don't know. Is yeah, it I think years? it was nine, something or eight. like that. Yeah, eight or nine years. I mean, that that in itself is just crazy. So a lot of things had to go wrong for that to happen, and I can't imagine LeBron is feeling great now. He is in the twilight of his career, and yeah. he. You know, he's already said, you know, I don't have anything left to prove. And in that, that case, is kind of true. He's just kind of accumulating counting stats at this point to climb up some leaderboards. Yeah. So he doesn't really need to win another title necessarily. But are you telling me LeBron James doesn't want to win another another title? I don't think that's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I, I really don't know. They don't have everything figured out in L.A. yet in terms of their decision-making heads. So until LeBron is able to sit down with them and they, you know, figure out what a course of action is going to be, we really won't know. Uh, but I do think that is on the table more than some people are giving it credit for. Yeah, I mean, that, that's certainly interesting. I, man, that would be, you know, to me, that's like a... People love to hate on LeBron if... And and the Lakers fan base is so huge. I, I think he wouldn't be... I know he says he has nothing left to prove, but he would get slaughtered. Like, that would be... Probably one of the biggest stains on his career if he was to just spurn the Lakers after one season. Now, would I put it past him? No, he's made it known that if he wants to go somewhere, if he wants a change of scenery, he's going to get it. Um, but man, yeah, I mean, if, if it'll be interesting if they don't, if they aren't able to get stars in this offseason, if they aren't able to contend in the Western Conference next year, we could see a situation where after two years, he's like, "Get me out! I want to try something new." We'll see. We'll see. And let's wrap up the top five here mm-hmm. uh, with LeBron's former team, the Cavs, uh, a team that, you know, obviously wasn't expecting to contend coming into this year, uh, had the third worst record in the NBA. So had uh, of the three teams to have the equal odds for the number one pick, the Cavs walk away with the best pick there at number five. That's another thing that's just absolutely crazy. Well, the, uh, about the this Knicks whole were thing. the Knicks, except for the Knicks. Oh, I'm sorry. Three. Except yeah. the Knicks. Of course, but obviously. then the the Bulls um, the Bulls ended up with the word they had the fourth and they ended up at seven. So yeah, it, I mean I just yeah, still can't Phoenix believe had this the lottery. Was, and they end up at six. Right, this lottery was just wild. Everyone seemed to be dropping down a little bit, which is absolutely crazy, and getting mm-hmm. filled in by some unlikely suitors. But um, yeah, you're right. Cle- Cleveland coming in here though, um, right? You know they're obviously you know the names we mentioned uh, with Jarrett Culver and DeAndre Hunter uh, mm-hmm. seem to be two guys who. Probably will be going there. You know, what's your take here, Blake? Yeah, to me, it's one of the other two also. And I, it's kind of the same reason that I said you don't take Darius Garland with the Lakers is, you know, the Cavs last or the Cavs last year took Colin Sexton uh, out of Alabama. So I don't really think they need a lead guard on the court. Um, to me, yeah, it's whoever's available between DeAndre Hunter and uh, Jarrett Culver. Um, I really like the fit of DeAndre Hunter with the Cavs. I just, I, I think that that... Um, could be a nice building block alongside Sexton. And I know, you know, for Cleveland, it's it's going to be one of those things where you just have to get lucky in the draft again. You know, after after everyone's gone and, you know, you know of course, they, they have a new era underway as well with John Beelan, you know, leaving Michigan to join the Cavs as the head coach. That was a crazy move. Um, and hopefully, you know, he can put them in the right direction. But it's going to come down to getting lucky in the draft for Cleveland. You're not going to attract a bunch of free agents. I would expect... Kevin Love maybe to be on the move in the near future. Um, depends just if there's a situation. I know Phoenix has seemed like the team uh, during the regular season. I was like, oh, Phoenix as a whole at power forward could trade for Kevin Love. Him and DeAndre Ayton would be an interest, uh, interesting front court. Um, 
But yeah, to me, it's just best player available at this point at the forward position, whether that's DeAndre Hunter or Jarrett Culver. Yeah, uh, I'm going to have to agree with you on that. I mean, you know, this is a team that's been on that downward trend for a while, uh, and certainly it's just trying to accumulate young players at this point. Uh, I mm-hmm. would not be surprised if Kevin Love was traded. Uh, it's, I thought we were honestly going to get it last offseason, uh, but they decided to hold on to him, see how he did. Uh, and, you know, they rolled with him for the whole season. Now, they did make some other moves, acquired, you know, guys like Larry Nance Jr., uh, or so that was the preseason before, but they have, you know, brought in a few few players who maybe weren't used to seeing uh, in previous years, and mm-hmm. you know this is this has been a long time coming for the Cavs. I think when when they made the when they made finals with LeBron and, and how poorly they fared against the Warriors, it was obvious that once LeBron was gone, that supporting cast was really just kind of you know a bag of of players, and, and no one really stood out aside from maybe Kevin Love. Right. Um, in, in teams' previous past with LeBron in the finals, I mean, you know, they had guys who would step up uh, in, in maybe like guys like Matthew Delvadova, uh, who, who kind of came out of nowhere to play really strong uh, playoff performances, and that just really didn't happen. Uh, and that just, you know, kind of set the tone uh, for this organization. So I don't think that they're going to be good next year. I don't think they're going to be good the year after. Uh, so I, I think at this point it's okay to get a guy uh, like Culver who you might have to take a year or two to develop. Um, you know, Hunter I, I, is a great defender, and, and that in itself lends itself to being able to, to translate early on uh, when he comes on, but I don't think he's necessarily going to need to. Uh, so we'll see. I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the top five picks are going to be fun. Uh, I, I expect at least one team to trade out, oh, yeah. uh, whether that's the Knicks trading for um, AD uh, or the Lakers trading back or the Cavs. Um, trading back, you know, so, something's going to happen here. Uh, I expect the Cavs to keep their pick, but I think there is going to be at least one trade in this top five, which, is, you know, in the NBA, you, you don't see a whole lot uh, of trades within the top five because, you know, the top of the NBA draft is so precious. Right. The drop-off is always insane. I mean, I know this year especially uh, we're seeing a really top-heavy, obviously Zion number one, there's a massive drop-off than the next two stars and then there's another drop off from there mm-hmm. um but you know it, it should be interesting i think uh, we are in for a wild off season the nba off seasons in just past few years have just been awesome uh you know whether it's you know the Kyrie uh Isaiah Thomas trade or uh the Kawhi and um gosh who was he traded for from the Raptors um Jamar Rosen trade i mean you know yeah. we we just kind of see things that come out of nowhere and and that's well Kawhi being traded didn't come out of nowhere, but uh, definitely didn't expect um, the Blazers to be, or the Raptors to be on the other side of that. So mm-hmm. uh, any any last thoughts here on the draft? Uh, anything outside the top five that you think is important enough to talk about? No, not really. I mean, you know, the other guys that we want to watch for, of course, outside of the top five, Cam Reddish uh, from Duke, uh, Kobe mm-hmm. White from North Carolina. Those are probably two of the more exciting guys remaining outside of those top five, but yeah, no, aside from this, I'm just, I'm in a state of depression. I'll get over it eventually, but I definitely would have loved to, I would have bought my Knicks Zion jersey last night after the lottery. I would have gone online and made a custom jersey and bought it, so at least it saved me a little money. That's true. I actually saw some, one one person posted on Twitter, they had already bought a Zion number one uh, Knicks jersey, and oh. it was sitting on their bed, and they pull up a lighter to it, and then they toss the lighter on the table or onto the jersey, then put a piece of paper down that says "Nah, 
Zion in free agency 2024. Great. Let's get it. I can't. I, <laughs> I can't thought that was wait. hilarious. You know, the wor- even worse than that, <laughs> a, a guy had the Knicks logo tattooed on, and instead of saying yeah. Knicks, it said Zion. It said Zion. Oh. I saw that too. Yeah, that's awful. <laughs> Well, that's that's sports fandom for you. It really does crush you sometimes. Yeah, so it does really hurt. hate to see it. And I just watched your your reaction. And folks, if you haven't seen it, you should one hundred percent go over to Blake's Twitter because it just utter. Oh, pain. it's so good. Utter, <laughs> utter pain. But yes, okay. So we're gonna All we're right. gonna switch gears out of the NBA so I can be sad elsewhere and not have to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> Matt. You you brought up something interesting to me the other day. Uh, switching we're switching over to. Uh, some MLB talk, and you were talking to me about the Los Angeles Angels. I know they just got the return of Otani back in the lineup um, recently, right? A couple days ago, was it? Yep, yep. And, and you you told me something that right now the Angels uh, sitting at, I believe it is 21 and 21, are a sleeper team for the AL playoffs, or for the, yeah. the AL wild card. So the Angels are obviously in a tough division. I mean, being with the Astros who are playing out of this world baseball right now, I don't expect right. the Angels to make to win the AL West. But they are only two and a half games out of the playoffs right now, the second wild card spot, which is admittedly a crowded field right now. But mm-hmm. as the season goes on, there are going to be teams that fall out of that. The Mariners are hanging around. Um, you know, we still have. I think of the three AL East teams. You know, somebody is going to take a step back where maybe we're not seeing. You know, three. 100-win teams, three 95-win teams. There's probably going to be a team between the Rays, the Red Sox, and the Yankees that uh, slows down. Obviously, the Red Sox have turned around their early season was to where yeah. they are now. The Yankees, obviously, overcoming injuries. They look like they're going to be so good once everybody gets back. Uh, and then the Rays got off to that really hot start. So I think one of those three teams, you know, we kind of have to see, wait and see on them. But overall, um, I, I really like the Angels lineup. I mean, they're a very, very deep offensive team, which is maybe not something we've been able to see say in recent years. I mean, obviously, they have Mike Trout at center field. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just got Shohei Otani back. Albert Pujols has been moved into a uh, platoon role uh, where he's not hitting as often, uh, and that's kind of worked out for him. He already has eight home runs on the season, um, you know, was one of the worst players in baseball over the past couple of years because of, you know, he's just old. I mean, he's 39 now uh, and yeah. having to play in that everyday role that he just really wasn't, you know, he just isn't the same guy anymore. He shouldn't be doing that, but with how much he's being paid, they kind of had to. They are finally able to work it out where they've cut back on his playing time. That has really helped. Uh, Tommy Listella has been a really big surprise for them. Right. Uh, second baseman. Andrelton Simmons is, is playing well offensively. One of the, We've talked about him last yeah. podcast and about how good he is defensively. Brian Goodwin, uh, who they, oh man, they actually got from the Nats. Um, who they cut him last season, uh, which he wasn't working out. Uh, I always liked Brian Goodwin. He's actually a former first-round pick uh, for the Nats, former top prospect. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and and didn't really pan out. He actually took a really long time to get to the majors, um, and when he finally did, it was a good heartwarming thing. And and I actually really liked watching him play. He just kind of never. There was too many outfielders uh, in the Nats organization. They had to make a cut, and he was ultimately the one who did. Which 
I don't think that was the right decision, and clearly it's, it's panning out well for the Angels, so we'll leave it at that. Uh, they also get Justin Upton off the 60-day DL soon, or IL, uh, excuse me. Uh, I think it's the beginning of June, so in another two weeks they're going to be getting him back. Uh, mm-hmm. Cole Calhoun uh, has been a nice surprise, too. He's shown uh, good flashes of power, uh, nine home runs, 24 RBIs in the season. He is an 813 OPS, uh, so just up and down, OBS plus, excuse me. Or 813 OPS, 117 OPS plus. Uh, so they've been just up and down, a very deep lineup. Uh, you know, Trout, the biggest crimes in all of sports, has not been able to see yes. Mike Trout in the playoffs since his rookie season. I think that has just it encompasses baseball in that it's not it's not a you know a one guy sport and you need to have a good team built around you and as good as Mike Trout has been the Angels just have not been able to make a playoff run. Uh, but I'm buying in into the Angels right now because of this lineup hmm. now. The pitching staff is going yes, to need some th- work. That's where I was going. That's that's where I was going to ask you questions about because the pitching staff right now, tenth um, in the AL in Team ERA, uh, mm-hmm. and thirteenth in home runs allowed, eleventh um, most or eleventh in walks. Uh, the pitching staff: Matt Harvey, Trevor Cahill. I like Tyler Skaggs. I think he's a, a good player, but of course, you know, you're looking at the five starters right now. None of them have an ERA of below 5. So so what do we have to what adjustments do we have to make in the pitching staff? Is it the trade market? I have two words for you, Blake. Madison Bumgarner. Ah, right. there we go. Yep. Bumgarner released his 8 team no trade list the other day and oh. the Angels were not on it. Yeah, the Yankees were. I was so upset. Okay, well, th- this is it actually is a little bit lesser of a deal than a lot of people have been portraying it as, okay? Oh, okay. What Madison Bumgarner did was he took the eight teams most likely to trade for him this season. They were, you know, teams like the Cardinals, the Phillies, the Yankees, the Red Sox, you Mm -hmm. know, pretty much the best teams. And a lot of people looked at that list and they were like, does Madison Bumgarner not want to win? What the (laughs) the hell is going on here? It was, he wanted leverage. He wanted... If oh. I get traded to another team, which it does benefit Bub Garner a lot to get traded in free agency because he won't be able to be given a qualifying offer. If you get traded right. midseason, the team that, that has you cannot give you a qualifying offer when you hit free agency, which makes you more attractive to teams in free agency. You can probably get more money. Gotcha. Uh, so that in itself right there helps him a lot. But it also gives him, with this 18 no trade clause, it gives him the leverage where if a team... Uh, say the Brewers wants to get him, a team that's on that list. Uh, he can say, "All right, you can trade for me, but uh, Giants, you got to pay me two million uh, before you can trade me to that team. I'll, I'll waive my no trade clause if you if you want to trade me there." Or say he he doesn't really want to go to the Brewers, right? Uh, and the Brewers and the Cardinals are interested in him. That now gives him the opportunity to say, "Well, if you trade me to the Cardinals, I'll waive it, but I won't waive it if you, if you trade me to the Brewers." Uh, so that kind of gives him that opportunity there to be a part of those negotiations. Gotcha. Uh, so it was a very smart move on, yeah. on his part. Now, no, that that's how that translates to the Angels. They can trade him to the Angels right away with, with, without having to consent him at all. Uh, hmm. he's, they're not on the list, uh, and that helps them in that regard where they might not have to give up uh, as high prospects. Now, this is a question of would the Giants gladly trade uh, give up two million to trade Bumgarner for better prospects, probably. Uh, but you never know how this, you know, stuff this stuff works out. And the Angels are in a prime position to trade for Bumgarner, and I think they of all teams need him. The, the Angels have slowly built up their farm system, which was 
a couple of years ago, Keith Law, the ESPN's top MLB draft analyst, called it the worst farm system he had ever seen. Hmm. I mean, he's been doing this for, for 20, 30 years now. Uh, to, for him to say that is is terrible. But they have really built up their farm system on the fly. You know, they haven't done an any rebuild, so they've been they've been mediocre with Trout. That's the thing is Trout being worth 10 wins a year has prevented them from getting really tiny top picks in the draft. So they've really had to improvise in how they have turned around that franchise. And they, I think they've done a good job. They've got guys like Joe Adele coming up. Griffin Canning just hit the major leagues, uh, their top pitching prospect. So I'm not super uh, worried necessarily uh, about their long-term stability. So that's where I think they could come in and maybe make a decent offer prospects wise and send them over to San Francisco. Now, they do have a couple of pieces here who I think are better than their numbers might say. Uh, Tyler Skaggs, for one, right. uh, you know his ERA is five point oh five, but his FIP suggests he's got a little bit unlucky. Um, you know he he has a high strikeout total, so that lends itself well. It's really been walks that have plagued him so far, and mm-hmm. uh, he still doesn't. He, he gives up one point five home runs per nine, which is a little high certainly, but it's not. Uh, unbearable, so I think we could see Skaggs turn things around. Griffin Canning, a 23-year-old kid, uh, has only made three starts uh, and shown flashes that have made um, Angels Brass pretty happy. So I think they're gonna we're willing to put him in the rotation and let him tr- kind of grow a little bit, and they're gonna see how he does. Uh, Felix Pena, uh, Pena has been um, uh, pretty good so far. He's only made four starts, eight appearances, three four nine ERA and thirty eight and two thirds innings uh, with a one twenty six ERA plus. So. Uh, you know, obviously the, the two free agent signings of Matt Harvey and Trevor Cahill have not worked out, and no. I don't expect both of them to be on the team uh, when this is all said and done. And Cody Allen, who the, the team signed to be their closer, has also been pretty terrible. Right. Uh, he has four saves, but a ERA of, of six right now, a whip of 1.833, uh, just absolutely terrible. But the thing is, is the rest of the bullpen around him has been pretty good. Hansel Robles has stepped in to that uh, closer role and done pretty well there. Ty Boudre, Cam Bedrosian, pretty good uh, setup men. So uh, I'm not super. I, I think the bullpen's fine. I think the offense is is very very good. Uh, it has not reached its peak yet, and I think really it is the pitching staff. And I, I don't think Bumgarner is maybe the only guy that they're going to trade for. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you you need four starters in uh, in the playoffs, and if you have Skaggs, Canning, and, and Pena right now, you have Bumgarner, and maybe throw another guy into that mix. Andrew Heaney's supposed to be back. Uh, you know, they're going to look at that as a trade opportunity, or not a trade opportunity, but almost like a trade. Uh, Andrew Heaney, who they got in a trade from Miami a couple years back, uh, they've always been hoping for him to, if he can stay healthy kind of thing, he can really pan out for them. Um, He has not pitched yet in 2019, uh, only had he made 30 starts last year, uh, and that was his first full season. His FIP was 399, so you'd think that he could be a quality pitcher. He's only 28 years old, uh, so I think they're excited for his return. Um, but we'll see, uh, how that all works out. But I definitely think they need to go all in for at least one quality starter. And with, with the state of pitchers right now, I mean, Mike Miner is, is a possibility, but he's in the division, the Rangers. I'm not sure if they're going to be so inclined to trade Miner, uh, to the angels, but you know, they're, they're definitely going to be trading for some pitching. And I think if they can get a, a quality starter or two, I think they should go for two, uh, just to give themselves some depth because right. you never know what happens by the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think if they trade for, for two quality starters, this team is really, really good. And I'm excited for what it could do if it made it to the playoffs. Cause, uh, you put Madison Bumgarner on the hill in a wild card game, uh, against the Yankees, against the Red Sox, uh, cause it seems like, you know, the loser of, of the Hale East is right. going to be, uh, He's, they're going to be on the, on the bump there. Yep. Um, I think the Angels could give 
either of those teams will run for their money in a one-game playoff, which, you know, after that point, it's God knows what happens. But exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm all in on the Angels right now. I think that they're definitely a team that can make a run and, and finish with a wild-card spot. Right, and the uh, the strikeouts by the batters, they, I mean, they lead the AL in, in strikeouts, so... Uh, thoughts on that, just specifically, any any problems there, any qualms? Uh, you know, I, I'm looking at their their hitting categories, their ranks in the AL. It's about a bunch of stuff in the in the middle of the pack. They don't steal that many bases. Uh, they strike out a lot. Anything? Any other qualms outside of the pitching? I know you said that the the lineup has had a few um, good surprises, like Tommy Listella. Uh, we talked about Simmons as a top five shortstop. Is there anything? hitting-wise, batting-wise, that you have questions about? Well, in terms of strikeouts, I think this will th- this kind of illustrates my point right here. Chris Sale set an MLB record last night, striking out 17 hitters in seven innings. That's the highest strikeout total for a pitcher in seven innings or less. Mm-hmm. And the Red Sox lost the game. Hey, yeah. The Rockies struck out, I think, a total of 25 times in 11 innings. Jesus. Um, Still won uh, hit, hit a go ahead uh, hit in the eleventh uh, that propelled them to the win. You know, strikeouts just aren't as important these days. I don't think you know. Obviously, the Angels strike out a lot. Uh, well, I mean, the Angels are actually a team that are supposedly not striking out a lot. But if if the numbers are telling you otherwise, oh, you, um, dude, I'm I not. You. I'm not reading right. I thought. <laughs> oh. Oh, they actually strike out. I was going to say. Hilarious. They strike out the least the, amount the, in the AL. Okay, okay. I got that completely <laughs> wrong. Damn. I thought that that number. I can't read. I guess that's my thing, <laughs> that I'm not reading well. They actually don't strike out at all, basically. Yeah, they're the, they're the best team yeah, actually Yeah, that's what I was going to say. They're. They are they are the best team at avoiding strikeouts, and while a lot of people say that strikeouts don't matter these days, it's not as important. Jeez. They are just a team that goes for contact, uh, and that and that's another uh, thing that I think really will bode well for them is they don't just rely on the right. home run. Right now, the the Angels as a team have one player with double digit home runs, and that's Tommy Lastella. Mm-hmm. So they really have not been relying on the long ball. It's relying on stringing hits together, uh, you know, playing the the, the the short game, trying to bunt players over, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and it's a bit of formula for success. I mean, you know, they, they come in with a new manager, uh, uh, a whole new approach to this season. They, they make a lot of big offseason moves, um, which were a lot of under-the-radar moves, I might add. Uh, and, you know, coming in here, they're definitely not stealing a whole lot of bases. That's that's not their forte, 19 on the season, mm-hmm. which I think puts them about middle of the pack. Um, but, you know, they're patient at the plate. They take the pitches that are given to them, and, and that's what I like about them. So, yeah, the, the, maybe a lack of home, run, home runs might be something you get a little bit worried about, but when a te- you're a team that hits for contact, I mean, we saw it with the Royals a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, they never relied on the long ball. They obviously had speed to complement their, their approach to the plate, but it was definitely an approach to the plate that worked uh, and one that if you can instill throughout your team, I mean, it can't just be you know one or two guys. It needs to be four or five guys in your lineup who are willing to do that. And maybe, you maybe get a power hitter to bring them all home, and I think that's when Justin Upton gets back. Uh, you know, his strikeout totals are a little bit on the higher side, but he has the power, and he's going to be a guy who, if you can slide in there, uh, you know, with Calhoun, with Trout, uh, with Lastella. I mean, that is a deep lineup with Otani. I mean, you know, up and down. I, I'm I'm excited for what that lineup could do because you get a lot of guys who just kind of are scrappy, get on base in front of these power power guys. Uh, and you know that's the thing is is where the Angels stand right now statistically. 
I don't put a whole lot of stock into it because they just haven't had their whole team together yet. Right. Uh, they're really, you know, waiting for Calhoun to get back. Uh, he's on paternity leave right now. Uh, Otani just just got activated. You get Upton, who hasn't played yet this year. Uh, all that stuff, you know, just tells me, you know, they're they're still coming into their own, and the best is yet to come for the Angels, uh, and that's why I'm excited about them. Cool. Well, yeah, watch out for the Angels to make that run. Uh, in the wild card, of course, like we said, being behind the Red Hot Astros isn't the best way to to, to play catch up throughout the season. But fortunately, uh, that wild card spot should be open for them by the end of the season. Yep, yep. All right, we're we got we got time for our last topic, right? You think? Yeah, I think we got time to talk about this. It's an interesting one. I don't think we need to touch on for too long either. But no, it was it was just kind of something I saw yesterday, and I mentioned to Blake. I wanted to talk about. Joe Flacco uh, yesterday spoke to reporters about uh, Drew Locke, the rookie quarterback drafted in the second round uh, by Denver. Obviously, Joe Flacco was acquired by the Broncos to be their starting quarterback this year, uh, (laughs) which that in itself is a whole other discussion. But Flacco said to reporters, um, listen, I have so many things to worry about. I'm trying to go out there and play good football. I'm trying to go out there and play the best football of my life. As far as the time constraint and all that stuff, I'm not worried about developing guys or any of that. That is what it is. I hope he does well. I don't look at that as my job. My job is to go win football games for this football team. I hope he does learn from me because that means we're out there and we're slinging it around and having a lot of fun. So, okay, what what is your takeaway here, Blake, I mean, this is not the first time we've seen a, a veteran quarterback come out and say, you know, I'm not going to groom this guy to take my job. I mean, you know, it's obviously not what, what Flacco said, but that's what he sees he means. Right, yeah. I mean, Flacco wants to play football for as long as he can, but he doesn't look at it as his responsibility. That's that's the team's plan, but that's not his plan. He's not buying into that. Do you think, is that boo on you, Joe Flacco, or do you think that, you know, he has the right to feel that way? You know, I think there are certain aspects where it's boo on you, Joe Flacco. And I think, you know, I'm separating from teaching him stuff on the field. I would expect any veteran quarterback, I'd be furious if he wasn't teaching my rookie about how to handle your money, how to handle the media, how to, you know, win the locker room over. I think there's a lot of things that a veteran quarterback needs to teach a guy that was just finished up in college. Um, So if Joe Flacco is completely just not talking to him and not giving him guidance on those off-the-field things, I think that is terrible. I think that, you know, for a guy that's been around as long as Joe Flacco, who's had a career as up and down as Joe Flacco, I think he's got a lot of wisdom for off-the-field stuff and, and working with a team, being a good teammate. I think there's a lot of valuable stuff that Joe can teach him. Now, I'm not gonna blame Joe Flacco for not wanting to necessarily be like, yeah, I'm gonna... I'm going to help this guy take my job because I think especially, and it depends on the situation. You know, if it's, if it's a guy like, um, like Eli Manning in the Giants right now, he knows that his career is coming to an end. He knows that this guy is the future taken with the sixth overall pick. I expect there to be a big grooming phase in those, you know, however long Eli's career goes on. He spent his life with the Giants. He wants to see the Giants be a successful franchise. For Joe Flacco, he kind of just did this last year. He, he was kind of the mentor to Lamar Jackson. And, you know, Lamar came out and said that, you know, at the end of the season that Joe was, you know, a, a big help in the, in the locker room for him and kind of handling the NFL. Now he gets traded. He thinks, okay, I'm going to get a shot to be the starting guy again. And what does the team that traded for him do? They draft a quarterback, you know, not as high as Lamar was taken. You know, Drew ended up being a second-round pick. But Joe's got to be sitting there like, well, where's my opportunity 
to be to be given a fair shot because obviously the future of the Broncos isn't Joe Flacco, it's Drew Locke, and so. You know, Joe in this situation is a guy where he's not like an Eli Manning where he spent his entire career with this team and he wants to see them win. And he knows that his career's coming on. Joe wants to make his career last as long as possible. So, I, you know, he's going to go out there and he's going to fight for his starting job. Now, I do believe that, that Drew Locke, I, I, I think I, we said it on an earlier episode, I think Joe Flacco's fit in this offensive scheme is one of probably the worst quarterback offensive coordinator pairings in the NFL. I just don't think he fits the kind of rollout fit with Denver, but I, I don't I don't I don't want to fully blame him for being, you know, he he was he's being very, uh, very upfront about it. And I think that if you're going to give him crap for it, I I would be more upset if he's not teaching him stuff off the field, but on the field stuff, go out there compete. If Drew Lock, you know, wants to win that starting job, he'll work his butt off. Joe will work his butt off for the starting job, but I'm not going to put too much crap on him uh, for not really being the most helpful for Drew. Okay, this is my thing. I mean, obviously, with with Lamar Jackson, I mean, Joe Flacco had done it all for Baltimore. I mean, he, right. he came up with the team. He won a, a Super Bowl with them. He got that extension. You know, he owed it to the city of Baltimore to, you know, at least help Lamar come in. Uh, and you know, be the guy of the future because he knew his time was running out. He knew he was going to be traded. Uh, that you know, and he wanted to save face, look good, and and get as good of a possible deal as he could when the time he uh, time came for him to be traded. Right? He mm-hmm. gets traded to Denver, a, a team that he has no history with. Right? He doesn't owe anything to its fan base, and he says, "I'm you know, this is this is my job to lose, and I'm going to act like that." I don't have a problem with that approach. I do have a problem with him going to the media about it uh, and saying something like that, making it public. Because yeah. you, know, you want to come into this new team and, and at least create a positive, uh, co- a positive impression. I think, honestly, saying something like that to the media almost makes the team more inclined to want to go with Drew Locke if he comes out surprising people. Oh, yeah. And, and that's, that's where I think Flacco might be shooting himself in the foot a little bit now. Ben Roethlisberger did this same thing last year uh, when the Steelers drafted Mason Rudolph. When he came to camp, Roethlisberger said, you know, it's not my responsibility uh, to groom this kid. You know, I'm focusing on myself. And then Roethlisberger goes out and sets career highs in passing yards, touchdowns, completions. uh, You know, has one of the best seasons of his career, breaks 5,000 passing yards. I mean, you know, that, that in itself, you know, he just goes and shows like, hey, you know, I'm still what I got, and then gets a three-year deal out of it. Mason Rudolph is basically out of the picture. Now, what aided that with that deal was that Rudolph didn't really pan out for them. Uh, reports out of Pittsburgh camp are that they aren't super impressed with what they've seen. So that, you know, has kind of set them back a little bit in terms of finding another quarterback. So they had to go in all, all in a Roethlisberger. But he had the best season of his career last year. So, you know, it gives them all the justification in the world to do so. Um, now, with Flacco, I don't – I just think that puts more pressure on him. And with the season that we saw him last year, I mean, he's no Ben Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger is a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. And anyone who says otherwise doesn't know what they're talking about. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, but Flacco, definitely not in that category. Um, you know, on the downward trend of his career, he has 
He's thrown fewer passing yards in three consecutive seasons than he did the year before. Uh, and, you know, obviously the interception rate has been a problem for him as well, um, which he only played nine games last year, had had a lower interception rate than his career average, which certainly helped him. Only six six interceptions in those nine games. But, uh, you know, the the yards weren't, weren't there. The, the touchdowns weren't there. And I think now, with, with like you said, it's just not a great fit for Denver. So I don't think he's in a position to succeed already. And to make any part of that situation more tumultuous for yourself, I think is just dumb. You know, like I said, he can feel any way he wants. That's that's his prerogative. I think, you know, just keep those thoughts to yourself. Because now, you know, if you're the, you're the kid Drew Locke and uh, you're, you're seeing Flacco make those kind of comments, and you're like, I mean, you, you probably haven't even met Flacco yet, or maybe you've texted him or something like that, but uh, you haven't probably spent extended time with this guy. You're thinking, all right, you know, he's not going to help me. That's, that's going to put a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. That's going to, uh, you know, make me come into this with a little bit more motivation, you know, prove people wrong, prove Flacco wrong, uh, and kind of show up the guy. And that's just not the dynamic that you want to create. If you're, if you're the quarterback, I mean, you got to be the leader of that locker room, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's not a good step in that direction is already creating friction. Uh, now, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe him and Drew Locke hit it off, and he's just saying that to the media, and you know they're you know, fine behind the scenes. He just doesn't want to, you know, create that impression that he's giving up on his job. Sure, sure, you know that's that that's certainly possible. I just think that that you know before they even had a chance to meet, he's saying that kind of stuff. That just gives me a little bit worrisome. I mean, where even are the Broncos right now? I mean, where where are they in uh, their uh, I guess organizational trajectory. I mean, are they on the upward or are they on the downward? They're a team that I have not been able to figure out, uh, especially after they got Joe Flacco, because I think acquiring Joe Flacco is the most stagnant move you can make for an organization of not moving up or down. He's just there. Uh, And so who knows what, what, what the future of the Broncos could be. I mean, they were a team that was in playoff contention before really struggling down the stretch uh, midway through the year. So, you know, you'd think that they might be able to surprise some people with a, a strong quarterback situation, and Joe Flacco's not not the solution for that. Um, but, you know, I guess we're going to have to see at 34 years old how much more he has left in the tank. Yeah, no, that's that's correct. Uh, it's, you know, it's interesting. It's, it's one of those things where it's just situationally. Because, you know, Philip Rivers has always said, you know, I, I don't want you guys drafting a quarterback while I'm here because I don't want – I'm not going to, you know, help some guy take my job. He spent his career there, so it's a little bit different. You know, Ben Roethlisberger has spent his career there. I, I agree. Him doing it in Denver, I'm. I guess from your point of you just got there and you're already causing problems, isn't the right foot, uh, isn't the right first step to make with that team. But yeah, it's gonna be one of those wait and sees. I expect Drew Locke to be the starter. Um, you know, I, I I don't see the reason of putting Joe Flacco there. I, I'm always on the side that if you've got a young quarterback, you're no longer college quarterbacks are now more prepared to play in the NFL than than ever before. I think we've seen it recently, just with the recent production from these young quarterbacks. So you know, if Absolutely. Drew Lock, if Drew Lock's got the good stuff in in the preseason and in training camp, I'm all for it, and let Joe Flacco be mad on the bench if he wants to. <laughs> that wouldn't be the first time. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. I think that's going to uh, do it for us. Anything else you wanted to mention, Blake? No, I'm sad. I'm just sad, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm just sad. Don't worry, sad. man. You still, you still have uh, the other Duke star that, that the Giants signed. Uh, no, yeah. you're not really. <laughs> yeah, thank God I'm not a Giants fan. That <laughs> Dude, being a Giants and Knicks fan would be, this would be the worst. It'd be an even worse feeling. You got the wrong guy from Duke. <laughs> 
But yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just sad. I'll be fine. I'll get over it. I'll convince myself I'm probably going to watch a lot of uh, R.J. Barrett highlight tapes. I'm going to really press on this Anthony Davis trade, but we'll get through it. It's just depressing being a Knicks fan, I guess, is is all I have to say. Hey, man, you can you can take solace in the fact that the Wizards fans have no end in sight and KD right. is not going to D.C. Yeah. despite uh, the previous hope that that might happen <laughs> as KD is from the district. But, um, you know, it's it's... Not a great time to be uh, a non-Pelicans fan right now, no, to be honest. No. So, uh, But especially the Knicks, that has got to hurt. Oh, um, one thing I wanted to mention, uh, though, before we go, I went on to the JMU Sports News Podcast, which is a podcast uh, hosted by two of our friends uh, over from JMU, uh, names Bennett Conlon and Jack Fitzpatrick. Uh, they had me on to talk JMU softball, and I know this is a sports uh, no, a professional sports podcast, um, but if there are any JMU faithful uh, people who listen to the show and want to hear us talk about JMU softball, uh, I had a really fun time talking with them uh, yesterday. It just was posted about an hour ago, so uh, go ahead and look them up at, at JMU Sports News uh, if you care to go over there. it's They're calling it the best podcast ever, so I'm honored to be <laughs> there you a go. member of you, that. You we, were, we had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, you were called a very special guest, and honestly... You yes. know, uh, you, you three are probably the most um, in tune when it comes to Jamie softball. Of course, Matt had been covering doing play-by-play almost, I mean, I mean the entire season. I know you would miss a few games here and there probably for stuff, but I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Bennett is, I, I don't understand how that man has more than 24 hours. Uh, I, I think, I think. <laughs> he texts me during broadcast and I'm like, why are you watching JMU versus Hofstra softball right now? But he was, so. <laughs> that that man, God gave God gives people some extra talents. God gave Bennett like an extra two hours in a day. He he can operate on twenty six <laughs> hours a day. I'm fully convinced. But yep. no, so definitely give that a listen. Um, you know, Jamie Softball's run is going to be an interesting one for sure. Absolutely, and I gave Reasonably Outrageous a bit of a shout out there too. Hey, so, there we go. So you got uh, a little bit back and forth between the two podcasts, right? Of course. All right, well, that's going to wrap it us up for today. Don't forget to follow us both on Twitter. I'm at Matt Wyrick. Blake is at Blake Andrew Pace. Any parting words for the good people? No, go Knicks. I'm still sad. Those are my parting words. I'm gonna. I just. I guess. I guess I'm just sad. I'm man. still sad. I'm just sad. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should call that the, the the title of the podcast. I'm still sad. I'm still sad. <laughs> that's a pretty good theme. I like it. I like it. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you all so much for listening and have a good one.